Welcome to the Run Run Live 3.0 podcast, where we celebrate the transformational powers of endurance sports. Hello and welcome to the Run Run Live podcast, episode 3-260-261-261, I think. I feel great. You want to know why I feel great? Well, I will tell you. First of all, why not feel great if you have the choice? But that's besides the point. I feel great because my Achilles tendon in my left foot is a little sore. And my right knee also has a little achiness, and my legs are a bit muscle-weary in general, and my right nipple is a bit scabby from abrasion. So you say, how could these aches and pains and scabs be the source of my good feeling? Because in order for any of these things to manifest, it means that I have been getting in the quality and volume of workouts needed to run well in a 26.2-mile foot race. Hi. This is Chris, your old friend, and welcome. Today, we're going to talk to Tara, who is a tremendous example of someone who has transformed their lives. And I would say she has transformed her lives with an exclamation point. Uh, You can learn from this. In section one, I'm going to talk about how some tricks to stimulate uh, yourself into creativity when the need arises. And in section two, we'll talk about moving the curve of your race efforts, moving the curve. Uh, Housekeeping item, first of all, I found the source of the audio quality problems that I was having. I had assumed it had something to do with my hard drive crash a few weeks back where I lost all my presets in my editing software or that maybe my H2 microphone was giving up the ghost due to all the travel abuse from riding around in my laptop bag. But as usual... You shouldn't make assumptions, and it was something else, something very simple. I'm going to have to give you a little bit of explanation. By way of explanation, this H2 microphone that I use is very close to commercial quality. It's a great microphone, and it has four individual microphones in a 360-degree array that allows the recording of sort of surround sound. So the microphone array can be configured to pick up 360 degrees or 120 degrees or 90 degrees. And this, what this translates to is pointing the microphone at the whole room or just at one person or just me. And somehow, over the last few weeks, I had managed to fat finger the array so that it was pointing 120 degrees away from me while I was talking into it. It was picking up the hum of the laptop quite clearly, but only got my voice as it traveled by at high velocity or bounced off something. It should be clearer now. My training, my training has been going very well. I have a marathon this weekend, and I'm hoping to turn in a decent performance. I've gotten in four good, strong weeks of 1,600-based pace work, and I am feeling very strong. Last week, I was on the road all week. I was traveling, but I got up every morning and I got my workouts in. So Tuesday, I was supposed to do three 1600s at a 650-ish pace. 
and I got the conversion wrong from miles per hour to minutes per mile on the treadmill and it ended up doing uh the first one I ran an 800 at around a 615 pace before I figured it out and then <laughs> I was able to uh finish it successfully after that so I got a little 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 extra speed work in Thursday morning I was very proud of this workout I knocked off 6 1600s at a 713 pace on the treadmill and it just felt awesome and Sunday, this past Sunday, I went out on a course around my house. It's quite hilly, and it was a little bit warm, and it was breezy too. But I managed to, you know, no warm-up, no cool-down, just went out and knocked off 13 miles at 5 seconds per mile faster than my goal marathon pace. And more important than the performance and the work was how it felt. And it felt strong and comfortable at pace. I'm not fighting as as much, and I feel the training effect in my legs. I have moved the curve of my pace to where it needs to be, and now all I have to worry about is the distance and whether I can hold on. So now I'm in a bit of a taper week, and I'll go up to the Vermont Shires Marathon this Sunday, have a go at it. It's a hilly course, and it's going to be a little warm, but I'm close. I feel like I've moved the curve. That's not how the training effect works. It's not a linear progression where you get a little bit better each week. It's a step function where you just get better in big chunks, and then you have flat toes where you don't get better at all. So you have to remember that. I've also thrown in a fourth run in my week, up from three. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a 14% more runs per week than I was doing in the spring. And the way I've been working it in is by doing my long run on Saturday and then doing an easy run with the club on Sunday. And this has the added benefit of running on tired legs, which promotes active recovery. I had a bit of a problem doing this this past weekend. Buddy and I were running a little late due to an ill-timed call of nature, and we missed the club by five minutes or so, and I knew where they were heading so we lit off after them at a tempo pace, and we caught them on the first hill. We caught them in about a mile. So that was interesting. I was planning on a nice, casual, easy run with the club, and I ended up throwing in a the first miles a tempo run down the road in my trail shoes with Putty hanging on for dear life. And the plantar fasciitis continues to get better. And, lest I forget, I'm down to 185 pounds without any crazy dieting yeah even after being on the road all week and that's uh that's what 14 percent more runs in a week and some quality 1600s will do for you plus it's spring and with the nice weather i'm much more active i'm outside more on the weekends and i love the new hokas i have i haven't been doing speed work in them but i've been doing some of my long runs in them and they feel like they're giving me energy when i'm racing and people ask me which ones i got i got the stinson's I would have gotten, and I wanted to get the Bondi's, but they weren't in stock. And I have been chastised by some semi-alert listeners that the proper pronunciation is Oni-Oni, not One-One. But I kind of like One-One better. It sounds celestial. So let's bounce our heavily padded shoes on to the next topic, shall we? On with the show. Are you hungry? Here's some food for thought. Seven ideas to stimulate creativity. 
hammock thoughts. So the kind of thoughts you would have when you're laying in your hammock in the summertime. So what do you do when it's time to write and nothing to write about? It's not often that I need to ask my brain for a thought or a topic, and it's close to never that my brain has nothing to say in response to this request. I'm picturing my brain now as a chagrined little boy shrugging his shoulders with hands, palms up, empty pockets turned out, and an expression of, sorry, I got nothing. So my whole life, my brain has pushed on me, unbidden, a stream of good topics. I've always had queued up a line of things, whether to talk about, to think about, or to write about. And the fact is that one of the reasons I began writing to begin with was that the thoughts crammed up in my brain threatened to overwhelm me if I didn't find a safety valve. And I don't get writer's block because I know the tricks to tease my creative engine to sputtering, smoky life. And I will share these with you. What I have found is that the creative act is like weaving a tapestry of ideas, and sometimes the most important thread is the first one. Constructing the tapestry can be a mechanical action or a flight of fancy, but if you don't lay down that first thread, you can't start the process. So number one, start without direction. Get the creative engine jump-started. Many of us won't start creating until we have a fully formed vision of what it is we want to build. And if we can't visualize the entire piece or at least a cohesive outline, we won't start the work. Now, if you have an idea or the spark of an idea, you can start by writing a list or an outline and then mechanically craft a cohesive piece from this. Even if you have only a couple of bullet points, I've found that as you begin to expand and describe those bullet points... Related and co-located ideas will begin to flow to fill out the structure of the piece. Many times as you flesh out the outline fragments, the reason you are stuck will become obvious. You will realize that you are missing something or coming at it with bad assumptions or from the wrong angle, and a new, better approach will emerge. And in order for any of this creative act to happen, you have to start. And even if you don't know where you're going, it's always better to start and find your way. Another unstructured approach that I use is just to start writing words and prose fragments that really don't even have to have a meaning, but they have some sort of music to them. And instead of trying to direct the flow of words towards a theme or a structure, just let them flow out as a free-form poetry of sorts, just the act of writing. So no one will ever read this poetry, but my creative safety valve has been opened and the creative act has begun. After a few hundred pretty words and phrases of nonsense, you can get your process jump-started. Again, the point here is to start, and once you start, the momentum of creativity takes over and you relax into the process. And remember, folks, it's not necessary that everything you create is prize-winning material. Your job is to get it out and form it into a reasonable shape, and let your readers, your consumers, figure out if it is worthwhile. I am continuously surprised by my inability to determine what people will find value in. Stuff I think is throwaway crap will resonate, and stuff that I love will fall flat. So you learn to be the pilot and the guide and the creator, but not the judge. So number two, get some stimulus. Stimulus. Get a stimulus package. 
different people have different brain chemistry, and I can tell you what affects my brain chemistry and impacts the balance of creativity. And I'm not talking about drugs and alcohol, although these obviously work for many creative types. I'm not recommending paying that price, even if it means coming out with a naked lunch or a tropic of cancer for you. That being said, I do find a good strong cup of coffee to be a wonderful stimulus for my own creativity. I also love to put some good music on my earbuds, partly to block out the annoyances of the public, but also to draw energy from the music's tone and cadence. And for me, that's some good ska and punk rock, and it causes me to type with a dervish-like Kerouac fever. Many, if not most, writers get inspiration from reading, and I get many ideas from listening to podcasts these days. If I have a flash, I'll try to capture it in a holding area so I can use it later when I'm in need of a topic. So don't be dependent on stimulus. Don't use stimulus as an excuse to procrastinate, but do find out what stimuli work for you and help you get into the zone of creativity. Number three, find a grain of sand. Like an oyster creating a pearl, you may just need to find that grain of sand to wrap your creativity around. You can look for these anywhere. Just look around. The art on the walls, the magazine in front of you, the people around you, pop culture artifacts, any small thing in the flotsam and jetsam of modern life that floats around us could provide that kernel of an idea for you to wrap 800 words around. Marketing and advertising are always fertile ground for absurdities to comment on. Look for conflicts and take a side. Look for the ridiculous and the scatological. We're, we're surrounded by it. Just start describing how it makes you feel and what it reminds you of, and you're off and running on your next, next masterpiece. Number four, think descriptive. Once you find some grain of sand that interests you, describe it in detail like your fifth grade English teacher taught you. Use your senses and describe it in such a way that your audience feels the way you feel, sees what you see, hears what you hear, and smells what you smell. That's 500 words right there. Number five, think conversation. Look around you and watch the people. Who are they? What are they thinking? And what kind of conversation would they have with you? with each other. Begin to describe and construct that conversation. People are interesting. Wrap a narrative around it. Number six, think small. There is a story from Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance where Phaedrus is trying to teach a writing course to college students, and he gives them an assignment to write a thousand words on the college town. And one young woman just can't do it. She can't get started. She can't do it. And he tells her then just to write about the main street of the town, and she still can't do it. So he tells her to write about one building, and she still can't do it. And finally, he tells her to just describe one brick in that building. And she begins to describe that brick, and her writing blooms from there. She can't stop at a thousand words because she has too much to say. So if you're having trouble wrapping your head around a topic, write about Describe that brick. Number seven, break your rules. Don't fall into the trap of making up self-rules that keep you from creating. I'm only creative in the morning. I can't write unless I have a warm cup of peppermint tea and Beethoven on. Apologies to Ludwig van, but you're creating excuses and being lazy. 
The only thing stopping you from being creative is your inability to get started on being creative. So how do I know? Because an hour ago I was staring at a blank piece of paper and now I have provided you with a 1300 cohesive words that will help you change your life for the better. And there's life and then there's meta life. I can do anything. I can be anything. I am not afraid. And now for today's featured interview. So, Tara. Yes. How are you doing today? I'm I'm actually doing I'm really well. I'm I'm very tired at, at the beginning of this interview. <laughs> a long time. Did you get you got your workout in? Yeah, today. I did. I got um so today's uh training was um I ran to the gym, which is 5 uh, just well it's four miles, so I actually had to run an extra mile because I wanted it to be five. So I ran to the gym five miles, swam a mile, and then and then ran home five miles. So, yep, yeah, fairly. I used to, yeah, I used to do those when I was tri training, and what I found was uh, that first run to the gym made me get uh, cramps in my legs when I was swimming. Oh, see, I, I yeah, I thought the I thought the first two were great, and it was the last part. It was like that last run home. I was like, I just don't want to do this, but I couldn't walk because I didn't have a car, and I had to get home because I had an appointment, and then I was like, ugh. So, so you had to. Run. I had to keep running, right? I haven't done my workout yet today. I had to go pick up the dog. He was uh, getting his summer cut. <laughs> oh. So it, even though it doesn't feel like summer today, it will eventually. Eventually, right? Get a little less hair on my dog, so you may hear him wandering around. Oh, that's fine. So when you uh, give us the the two hundred words or less on who you are, oh, and what you do, and your uh, transformation, okay, I'll give you two thousand words. Okay, good, because I it probably will take two thousand at least. Uh, my name is Tara Martin. The short story is that in two thousand and ten. Uh, December of 2010, I had ter- just turned 40. Life, while it was actually not too bad, um, I was married and, and had a house and two cars and a great career and was just going through life. But I was going through life at 270 pounds and it seemed like I was getting larger and larger as time was going by. And I decided that at the age of 40, I needed to do something, and it needed to be an act of desperation almost, um, because I blinked and I turned 40, and I knew when I blinked again I was going to be 50 and 60, and that transformation wasn't going to happen if I waited any even one second longer. So sure. uh, December 29th, I, everybody wonders if I actually made a New Year's resolution, but I didn't. I just made uh, life changes, but it just happened to occur at the end of the year. So December 29th, I decided that I was not uh, going to take the elevator anymore, and I was going to walk up and down the stairs, and I was out of breath walking up three flights of stairs, not very many, so I knew something was seriously wrong with my physical health. So I started there taking the elevator, or taking the stairs, not taking the elevator, Taking the stairs turned into uh, walking uh, during my lunch break, and walking during my lunch break turned to one fateful morning when I tried to run. I promptly threw up after a half walk, (laughs) which is, I love telling that story. I literally ran, and I threw up in some stranger's yard, and it was early in the morning, so I don't know if they've ever seen it or noticed that somebody actually vomited in their yard, but uh, so that was the very first time I ran. That was, uh, I believe, February of 2010, and I never looked back. 2013, I'm a triple marathoner. 
endurance runner, trail runner, and working my way towards half Ironman this year. Uh, having lost 120 pounds and uh, in 11 months and kept it off successfully since um, November. Well, I guess what would be? Oh no, that, I'm sorry. That was that would be December of 2009 because it was November of 2011 that that I hit what would be cons- considered m- medical goal weight, I guess, where you know that whole normal BMI. Yeah. Percentage, whatever. But so I, I hit my first goal weight of uh, 170. Yeah. So that's that's a lot of that's a lot of weight in a very short period of time. Yeah, it was, you must uh, have done something besides besides jogging. Mainly, though, it did come from mostly running. Um, I did in April of 2010. I after losing 30 pounds on my own, I joined a gym, and I did get a trainer after being there for a month again on my own. I call him if if uh, I don't know if you've ever perused the blog, but I, I call him Godfather. Uh, his name is Chuck, and he was a, a an integral part of the weight loss from when I hit the forty pound loss um, until right at goal weight. So that would be two two thirty some from the time I weighed two thirty to one seventy. He he really helped me achieve that weight loss, but. But most of it came from running, really. Right. Yeah. Right. But you're doing some, you must have been doing some nutritional stuff as well, some calorie counting uh, and yeah. some so, changing your diet right. and all that stuff. So I started out, um, <clears throat> when I first started out losing weight, uh, it, I started out very slowly and it was definitely a calorie in, calorie out equation. I just sort of randomly picked a number that sound, I didn't really know anything about anything at that point. So I just, I I joined a a website called Calorie King and they, they gave me this number and, and that was the number that I hit, um, on a regular basis. And then when I started working out, I really started to tweak everything. So I learned about macronutrients, when to eat, how much to eat. I started eating cleaner. So I started reading labels, and then from there, I went from eating clean to eating paleo, from paleo sort of tweaking it to fit more of an Ironman training. But I definitely, even today, I still use calorie in, calorie out, depending on where I am in, in maintenance, if I'm going back into weight loss or into maintenance. Right, but at this point, you're so, you know your body well enough that you notice if you get three pounds in the wrong direction. Either way. Uh, yeah, you know, for me, it's actually not three pounds. It's, it's actually, I actually have a little bit more of a leeway. I actually notice it more when I weigh too little. So my, I, I don't know, my healthy weight would be between 160 and 165. And I notice it more when I dip below 160 than when I get closer to 170. Um, because my clothes, are, my clothes still fit. I don't, I don't uh, weigh myself. So I don't, I don't use the scale right. very often. Right. Once a month, maybe. So it's my clothes that sort of tell me where I'm at, and right. uh, yeah. they just feel it, it, there's much more of a difference at 155 than there is at, at 170. Right. And what I found is you you get to you actually change your self image, right? So your normal is now that you know that 160 to 165, and you know what it is. Right. That's your self image, so that it's sort of auto correcting because you reset your normal. When you get above or below that, it's sort of you go, oh wait, wait a second, 
right? Yeah, right. Don't allow it to creep. Yeah, so even just a couple weeks ago, uh, last week or so, I noticed that um, because my because my endurance is, is, my training is going up, I noticed that in my face, I noticed some changes where I where it looked like I was getting a little too where the weight was maybe coming off again, and I and I started working so my eating schedule is off and so I thought well this doesn't this doesn't seem normal so I got on the scale and and I've actually lost a couple more pounds and I was like well that's not okay with me so then I yeah. up, up my calories to yeah, find some protein somewhere yeah. yeah with that with the with the triathlon training you burn. Because of the muscle confusion, you burn way more calories than you would with just that amount of time right. spent in any one sport. There's like a multiplier effect, right? Which is what one of the things I like about triathlon. But yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. It's definitely there's a big learning curve um, once you once you go into sort of a multi-event sport, right? Yeah. So what um, what was the what was the moment for you, the turning point, when you said, "My, I, I got to change my life." A little backstory. Uh, my my family has um, genetic uh, chronic depression, and uh, and I have been my entire adult life had been been treated for depression, even being on high levels of antidepressants, so high levels of Paxil and whatnot. And at forty, I wasn't actually on the medication any longer. I'd, I'd actually taken myself off. But what had happened is, is I had taken the what the medication was giving me as far as dealing with the depression and I had turned it into a playing World of Warcraft. <laughs> so what started out as a fun pastime actually became quite an, an addictive behavior where I was spending, uh, I would sit in a chair. I have a chair in the house that I used to own. I had a chair and you could see that I physically grew into it. I, I could sit and I, I filled a certain amount, and then years later, I filled out much more of the chair, and I would spend close to six, seven, eight hours at a time playing this game, and then going to work where I sat in a cubicle for another eight hours, and then returning home, and, and, and this was my life, really. I'm not exactly sure what the turning point was, but I, just, I remember looking at myself in the mirror one day, right after I turned 40, and I thought, is this it? Is this, it's not that my life was bad, but is this it? Yeah. Am I, am I okay with this being my life? And I, I wasn't, I knew I wasn't. I knew that there was something bigger and I don't want to say better, but there was so much more potential and I didn't want to be 50 and 60 and 70 wondering that same question. I I really needed to find the answer. To that, and I didn't even know what that meant. Like I, listen, it's funny because you know you you talk with people who are, I, I use the word severe. 120 pounds is a lot of weight to lose, so severe weight loss, and never, not one person I think that you could ask would ever say that they imagined getting to the other side. They thought, oh, you know, maybe five or ten pounds or 20 pounds or 30 pounds something, but they never imagined themselves on the other end of the spectrum. When I started out, I never imagined that my life would completely everything about my life has changed. Yeah. Everything. And when yep. I said, Is this it for me? No. I, I would like to find what else is out there. I never imagined that, that this is the path that, that would happen. 
right? So it was the ultimate enabler for you. One, just a side note, it's interesting that uh, with the with the video games, especially the online games where you're part of a community, they give you the same endorphin hit as overeating or drugs or oh, yeah. you know, a lot of other things. I mean, it's I- the same exact endorphin hit. Yeah, I would think about it. I mean, I'd be in bed, sleep. I'd be trying to sleep, and I'd be thinking about logging on to my World of Warcraft game. So I don't know if you uh, if you know this, but I'm also on the spectrum for Asperger's. So I I have a lot of social. Uh, I just have a lot of. I need a lot of social cues, and I do a lot of parallel playing, which means I like to be in large groups of people, but I don't I don't really know how to interact like one on one with people too well. World of Warcraft really fed that sort of it allowed me to be with large groups of people but I never I never interacted with them on one on one right they only knew right. me through my character and and yeah. you know by when you reach it's so funny I just to think about like I used to that used to be me right like so um I remember playing that game and having a an, a character a level 80 character right and you're so excited and female character and she was all you know, tone and muscly, and she had her armor. And I just remember thinking one day, I wish that was me. I wish. I wish, yeah. you know, but then you're just so caught up in it, and you're like, that's never, that I can't I can't be that strong person. But then I... Yeah, it's, but it's, it's, it's extremely addictive because oh, of that. It's horrible. Yeah, I still... Yeah, and, and so that's one of the cues. If you're looking at, if you find yourself spending more time on things like that, then it typically means there's something else in your life that you're trying to avoid yeah. or, or or get away well, from. And that should be a cue for you to assess yeah, and I, what that other stuff is. Because if you're that bored with your life yeah. that you have to go do that, then you need to think about what you're doing. Yeah, I right? really feel like um, I just was, I was out of touch. I was not, you know, you hear people say you need to be present in your life. And I was not, I, w- I just was not present whatsoever. I... I, I, I explained to people that I just felt empty inside. I just, there was nothing really wrong with my life. I, I had what, well, I had what people had, career, marriage, house, dogs, whatever. I had it all, you know, I had that, but it didn't, um, it just didn't fulfill me at one bit. And I have to right. go out and find, find out what did. So you're running, you're, Exercise, your endurance sports now have become this catalyst to a whole new life. Yeah, uh, an unimaginable life. I, I, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about the tra- uh, the Iron Man, and I'm, I'm like trying to tear up, and I'm like, please don't cry on this podcast because that's not, that's too emotional, right? But seriously, like I, if I don't make people cry. No, if you had asked me, <laughs> so three years ago, I guess. It's not really, it's not even, I haven't even been in maintenance for three years, right? If you had asked me three years ago when I started running, if you had said, Tara, in 2013, you're going to go, well, first off, you're going to be living in a totally different country. You're going to be married to a totally different person. Oh, and you're going to be doing a half Ironman. You're going to actually move for 70 miles. I I would probably punch you in the face because I'd be so upset that you would be planting that seed that would never be possible, right? Because that's not that's not possible. That's not, that wouldn't be possible, but here it is. And it's absolutely possible. Right. And so the key was just to get started on the journey, huh? And it just sort of snowballed from there. You know, yeah, there was a lot of having to trust myself and my ability. I've done a couple of interviews and everybody always says, what's your most pinnacle 
your most pinnacle moment in running? You know, was it the first time you crossed a marathon? The you know the first marathon, and I'm like, mm, no. Well, the, how about the how about the the second or the third marathon? Because I did them all. I did them all in a very short amount. I did them in a whole summer. I did three marathons in one summer, and I was like, no. And they're like, oh, well, it's got to be your first 5K. And I'm like, no. And they're like, okay, so what uh, what is it? And I was like, it, it's the first time I ran for three minutes straight. Yep, and threw up. And, and, and no, no. The first time I threw up, it was it was a half a block. But the the first time it was three minutes, and and I was following the Couch to Five K program, and I laid awake. I can see it even now. I can feel it. I can feel the anxiety of what that felt like. I laid awake all night thinking about that three minutes and how it was gonna feel like forever. And in getting up at, I was out on the waterfront at like four in the morning because I didn't want anybody to see me because I was still very. Well, I considered myself very heavy at that time, even though I was down, uh, by this time I was down at least 40 pounds, so I was weighing 230. I remember starting that, that day, and the three minutes was coming, and I just said, well, Tara, you can only trust yourself because nobody else is out here with you. And when I got done, I bawled. I must have bawled. I must have cried for like a half an hour because I, could, I couldn't believe it. It was the first time that I had moved in that time frame for three full minutes now I'm like three minutes, yeah. right? But I remember what that felt like, and and it was yeah. But the importance of that three minutes was that then you you realized all of a sudden what you were capable of. Yeah, and if I could do and, and it it opened a door, yeah. so that's that's uh, that was the point of transition yeah. for you. And and if I could do three, then I could do five minutes, and if I could do five minutes, I could do eight minutes, and that eight minutes turned into twenty minutes. Twenty minutes turned into a five k, which turned into a ten k half marathon, marathon. And more, right? Like, all right, keep going. Yeah, keep like nothing. Like, uh, so people are like, "Oh, you you ran that? You ran you? You're a marathoner? That's all, you know?" Uh, they they say, "I'll never be a marathoner," and I said, "Don't ever say never," because I I truly believe that I would never be able to accomplish that either. But I literally took it one mile at a time. Yep, and uh, made amazing progress in in a short period of time. So what you know, you're you're at the point now where you're writing about it, and you're you're you've got your own community. Mm-hmm. What's the importance of sharing with you know all that you're going through with with other people? You know, so so when I started blogging, I literally was just for me, right? I was this is what I did today, this is what I ate, <clears throat> and it it started to turn into. Um, something very personal very quickly because I was able to talk about my fears and talk about my just really anything that was coming up right I, I learned very quickly that this was more of a emotionally you know there, there was emotional weight that I was losing and, and physical weight that I was losing and when people started to sort of react to what I was writing about and I was finding other people for, for me as a new blogger and a, a, as a new weight loss person I was more looking towards people who were where I wanted to be. So what I so the way I imagine it um, and the way I explain it to people is I'm standing in front of a big lake, okay? And some people are already swimming and they're halfway there, right? And I want to be halfway there, but really where I want to be is on the other side. So I'm looking for I'm looking at other bloggers who are on the other side. What does that feel like? What did they do? I'm looking at people who are in the middle of the swim. What what are they doing? How does that feel? And then I'm sort of on the shore going, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to go for it. And then I start swimming, right? And eventually I am in the middle of the lake. And now there are people on the shore who are looking at me 
how did you get there? What did you do? What have you changed? And I'm selling, telling them, get in the water, start swimming. You'll, you'll figure it out on the way. And, and now for me, being on the other side, now I'm on the other side of the lake, and now I'm telling people, get over here. It's awesome. Keep swimming. Here's how you do it, right? Um, and, and, and so I, I never forget the people who, who are in front of me who are continually pushing, which reminds me to continually push. And I never forget the people who are behind me, right? I, I get emails all the time. Terry, you're such an inspiration, and and it's because of you I've started my weight loss journey, or because of you I've taken up running or something. And and I, every time I respond, I always say I appreciate the that <laughs> that I motivate you, but I also want you to know that somebody someday is going to be sending you the exact same email. So don't give right. up, because somebody right. needs to see you succeed. Right. right. We're all an inspiration to somebody. Yes. Right? Oh my God. Like. And and with that community comes a responsibility that you you need to you know almost lead in that sense right, right? yes yeah. I I see people who um uh, one of the and and being in the community sort of in the weight loss runner blogger community for so long I see people who have sort of I, I I don't know say disappeared or you know whatever things things happen and they gain weight or they stop running and and they sort of just sort of slink away in the corner and they forget to talk about what's happening in their lives and because they feel like the weight gain or the not running or yeah. causes them to be a failure. And what I say is it actually doesn't because it reminds me that, that this is a work in progress all the time. Yeah. It, it doesn't just because I'm at goal weight or because I can run a marathon or go out and train for something. It, it doesn't mean that the story's over. It's part of the story. What comes next? What it makes, it makes me sad when people just sort of disappear because they think, you know they're failing when yeah it's all it's also the journey is not linear it's no. uh, oh it's, my gosh it's, it's full of curves so you you learn to enjoy it for what it is yes. right i had a i had a friend we were talking the other day and and they had stopped going to the gym because there there had been some weight gain and they were afraid going back that people would notice that there was a weight gain and that or that they weren't able to do what they could do right and i was like well Okay, maybe they notice, but but you were going there, and eventually you're going to get back to where you were, right? I said I can't go out today and run a marathon. Does that make me any less of a runner? Should I just put my shoes up on the wall and be like, well, I can't run a marathon? So, and they were like, no, and I was like, exactly, because I could if I kept practicing, if I kept running every day. If my goal was to run a marathon, I would get there eventually. But I can't do it today. But that doesn't make me any less of a runner. Yep. Yeah. So I'm I'm going to uh, head us towards the exit here, Tara. Yeah. Because um, I haven't got my workout in <laughs> today. I still got to go run. Um, got to got to digest my lunch and go run. Give us your your uh, website links. Uh yeah. So my blog is actually a lifechangingjourney.com. I really put it out there on the line. Nothing. I mean, I've talked about my my divorce and then my subsequent marriage and then moving and weight loss and how things change. Nothing is off limits. Um, So if anybody's looking for any sort of, well, I can't talk about that because nobody understands. I definitely understand. Uh, Right? Uh, Mental illness, depression. I mean, all of it, right? Yeah. My Twitter is tidbits of Tara. So it's tidbits underscore of underscore Tara. Facebook is just life-changing journey. All right, so what's the future hold? Uh, future hold. So uh, Mont Tremblant 
Quebec, June 23rd is Half Ironman. I've got a bunch of uh, trail races. Then I'm focusing on trail racing because I really love trail racing. So I've got a couple of those happening this year. And then next year, I don't know. I'm thinking I might go ultra marathon. Yeah, I see that in you. Yeah, I think uh, ultra marathon because I love to cry and there's nothing like an ultra marathon to make you cry. And uh, and as much as I hate to say it, I, I really think eventually I'll shoot for Ironman. But I'm I just I'm not sure where it's going to fall in this right in this life journey of mine. So <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. it'll happen eventually. Well, I want to be like Sister. Do you have you seen? Oh gosh, what's her name? Sister Mary something. She's like 82. She's done. She does Ironmans. No, I haven't seen her. Ma- Sister Mary. Well, of course it's Sister Mary something. Yeah, you right? have to look. Be, yeah. She's incredible, but that's who I want to be. I want to be one of those old people that I want to be like 100 years old and doing my 100th marathon or something. Yeah, that's a good good goal. Yeah. All right. All right, so I'll let you go. All right, thanks, Chris. Thanks for the talk. Yeah, thank you. Have a great night. Thanks. Hitch up your tights because now we're going to talk tips and tricks for endurance sports. Moving the curve, the premeditated act of race fitness. I don't know what your fitness goals are. Maybe you want to lose weight or feel better or be able to chase your grandkids down. I do know my goal, and it's none of those things. It's actually much less nuanced and much more simple. I want, I need, to run a certified marathon course in less than 3 hours and 30 minutes before September. Because of the exactitude of this goal, directing my efforts becomes much easier. I know exactly how fast I have to go for how long, and this turns training and fitness into a mathematical equation of sorts. If I can train at X, then I can race at Y. Another example of this, people will tell me that being able to do 10 Yasso 800s at less than 3 minutes and 30 seconds would prove that I'm fit enough to race my goal. While I'll admit that this, among other things, indicators is a good, positive, and hopeful sign. It's really not a guarantee. We humans, we like to think linearly like this. We are masters at assuming and trying to impose quantitative order on the chaos of existence. And whether we like it or not, existence usually ignores us. Training and fitness, like all things human, are nonlinear. There's no straight line between X and Y. Certainly there's directional certainty. X does indeed influence Y directly. If you don't do that training, your probability of achieving that finishing goal drops significantly. And probability, my friends, is the key word and the key concept here that we have to understand if we want to come to grips with how our training relates to our race goals. If you look across the dozens and dozens of marathons that I have run, I can compare my times. I can also compare how my times lined up with my training quality and my expectations. I have not done this explicitly, because <laughs> I'm just not that kind of person, but I can tell you how it would look. It would be a curve. And most people, when they're putting together their goals for a marathon, will set three basic time goals. One's their A goal. This is the time they hope to run if everything goes well. The A goal is typically a bit of a stretch goal. The B goal is the time they think is most probable based on their experience and training. And the C goal is what they will settle for if they have a bad day. So how does this 
relate to the probability of me meeting my goals and why do you care? Well, if you look at these goals, A, B, and C, you can already see that it is a probability curve. It is what is referred to as the normal distribution or bell curve. And if you were to plot all the potential finishing times and their probabilities, it would be a bell curve, just like the one they use to grade kids in school. I'm going to stop talking about math now <laughs> and try to extract back to the point I was trying to make. The point that I was trying to make is that your projected finishing time is nonlinear. And the influence of your training on your finishing time is also nonlinear. It is, the proper word for this is stochastic. And that simply means there's a level of uncertainty in this whole process. And that's it. I dragged you through all that <laughs> simply to support the fact that your finishing times are uncertain. And even though your training influences them, that influence is uncertain as well. <laughs> so this is all very confusing and maybe demotivating for you folks who like your certainty. But there is a silver lining. The silver lining is that the amount of uncertainty can be removed through training. There are influences to our finishing times that are outside of our control, and there are influences within our control. And the trick of training is to move the whole curve by directing energy to those things that you can control and not worrying about those things that you cannot control. When I train for a specific finishing time, what I am doing is moving my fitness so that the probability of meeting that time goal increases. I am trying to remove uncertainty from the equation and narrow the bell curve. Running is a very specific sport. Racing is a very specific goal set. My ability to run a 330 marathon is a function of pace over time. And therefore, in my training, I focus on creating the ability to maintain a specific pace over time. I know that no volume or intensity of training will guarantee any finishing time. I also know that I can move the curve. I can move the whole curve. I can shift the entire finishing time probability to the right. And in this way, you make your probability of meeting not only your time, but you increase the probability of achieving all faster times. So what's the takeaway? First, understand what influencers you control and which you do not. You can't control the weather on race day. You can control your diet and whether or not you get out of bed to get your training done. Second, understand specifically what in your training has the greatest influence on moving the curve. We only have so much time and energy. The more you can isolate and understand and focus on the things that make a difference and have the most influence, the more you can influence the curve. And third, never think in terms of discrete finishing times. Think of your training as giving you the best chance, the best odds, the highest probability along your curve. Oh no, it turns out that math that they made you learn in high school was good for something. Who knew? The woods are lovely, dark, and deep. But I have promises to keep, and miles to go before I sleep, and miles to go before I sleep. <coughs>
Thank you folks for kindly dropping in, as they say. This was episode 3-361, which marks uh, 10 of the new format. Feel free to reach out and let me know how you like it and what you think. At least the audio quality should be better now. So let me catch you up on the books I've been reading recently. First, I read a fascinatingly creepy little book on Kindle called I, Zombie by Hugh Howey that operates under the pretext that the human mind and intellect is still alive inside the evil undead as they go about their gruesome business and along for the ride and forced to watch all the horror and feel all the pain. And it was uh, stomach-churningly awful to read, but I could not put it down. Uh, Very disturbing. (laughs) And I also read two awesome hard science fiction novels from a series by Jack McDevitt, recommended by a friend of the show. One was called Engines of God, and another one was called Deep Six. And these are very well written and wrap the concept of exo-archaeology, alien archaeology, around your basic outer space adventure. And I'm almost done. I'm wrapping up a an actual dead tree book called Masters of Doom that I found kicking around the office by David Kushner. And this is about the two guys that created the 3D uh, shooter video game Doom in the 90s. And it's not all that well written, but the story is interesting to me, having lived through that time period. And I, I like to tell a story about Doom when I was on an airplane in the early 90s, and I had one of the first Windows laptops, and I had it open, and I was playing the shareware level of Doom, and I had a crowd gathered behind me to see what was going on. That's how innovative that game was at the time. And I'm working through my way through Ray Charbonneau's uh, book, Overthinking the Marathon, and we'll get Ray back on for a chat after I finish it. Ray also started a project after Boston, after the marathon, um, he's invited or organized a collection of runners, writers into an anthology that will be sold to to um, the benefit of Boston called The 27th Mile, and there's a link in the show notes. And one of my stories may, be, may make the cut, but uh, go check it out anyway. I've also exhausted all of my podcasts. I, I was doing a lot of walking around and working in the yard, so I listened through all of my podcasts. So I've been listening to some audiobooks from LibriVox. And LibriVox, if you remember, is a site where volunteers read books into audio that are in the public domain. So you won't find any current bestsellers, but you will find a lot of classics like Thoreau and Lovecraft and H.G. Wells and Jack London. And it can be overwhelming because there's a ton of stuff in there. And the readers are a mixed bag. So what I recommend is... Google searching on LibriVox recommendations, and that will narrow it down and filter it out a bit so you can find the good ones. Right now I'm listening to a science fiction work from the early 1900s called The Knot of Human Fate, and it's anachronistic but interesting. Finally, finally, I have a product review for you. I was sent a pair of RecoFit Maybe it's RecoFit. RecoFit compression calf sleeves. And the link is in the show notes as well. And I've run and biked in them a couple cycles, and they seem to be fairly functional. I don't have anything over the top good or bad to say about them either way. 
I like calf sleeves. I really do. And I normally wear Zenza calf sleeves because that's what I have. And these uh, RecoFit ones are made from a much thinner material than the other ones I've been running in. And they also have like a separate serpentine calf-shaped panel that's thicker that directs most of the support to the calf directly. And I think they'll be better for the summer because they're thinner and uh, the other ones I have, and so they won't be as hot. And even though it is quite chilly in Massachusetts this week, I took Buddy over to get his summer cut. It's not a shave. They don't shave them. They just take off some of the long stuff, what they call the feathers on a border collie, and it makes him much more comfortable, even though the visit to the groomer seems to be quite traumatic for him. And last week I met up with a handful of nice virtual folks in Boston for the Poco Loco running event, and it was fun. I even brought Buddy in with me Sunday to run around Boston, and I let him swim in the Charles River. So to recap here, this weekend is the Vermont Shires Marathon for me, and we'll see what happens. If I don't get my time, I'll have to look around and see what's next. I'm not stressing about it. One day at a time. Hope to see you all out there. Thanks for listening, folks. I do appreciate your support. Run Run Live is a free service for you because I like writing and telling stories. I also love to meet folks, so feel free to reach out to me at Gmail or any of the other social networking sites. I'm C-Y-K-T Russell, and as you know, that's Chris Yellow King Tom Russell with two S's and two L's. My website is www.runrunlive.com. And most, if not all, of this content is posted out there. If you want the show notes to magically show up in your inbox when I publish a show in a beautiful HTML wrapper, you can subscribe to the mailing list at my site. It's a useful thing. If you're moved by something I say or interested and would like to see if what I wrote is the same thing, You can find it there, and it also has all the links to everything and everyone that I talk to and about. Other than that, my friends, thank you for the attention. Do epic stuff, and let me know if I can help. Ciao.